0: This is the This is gonna hurt podcast with Jay Gordon Duncan hello friends and welcome to a Wednesday wisdom episode of the This is gonna hurt podcast with Jay Gordon Duncan and if you're wondering why the J the answer is I am not a bagpipe player and if that joke doesn't make any sense I encourage you to check out episode 0 where I explain that joke as well as the purpose of the this is gonna hurt podcast. But as to today's episode, our Wednesday Wisdom episodes are this. I am sharing the audio of my sermons from the church I pastor, Evident Grace Fellowship in Fredericksburg, Virginia, as well as sermons from churches I have pastored prior, as well as sermons that I've preached at other places. And I'm sharing them with you for this reason. My sermons are usually not too long. They're between 30 and 40 minutes long. And by sharing them with you, it gives you a chance for some spiritual encouragement midweek. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope it's challenging and encouraging, like I said. And if it is, would you please send me a note at uh, gordon at jgordonnuckin.com or maybe even share this sermon online, Facebook, or on your Instagram story. I hope you enjoy it. So let's get to the sermon.
1: Romans 3, 9 through 20. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. No human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin.
0: Amen. Did you guys see that footage this week of that cruise liner getting just tossed around? I mean, I can't imagine anything more scary than except maybe the norovirus on a cruise liner. But uh, So they've got this giant storm, and then I think three of the four engines failed. And so they've got all these cameras inside where just... Uh, pianos and tables are just kind of rolling back. There's a picture of a a ceiling fan getting dropped on a woman's head. And then they only got these 400 people off the the liner with helicopters. And it's still out there. And they've got like tugboats trying to keep it from getting smashed into the rocks. And I can't, again, I can't imagine anything more scary. I haven't done a cruise. I'm not scared of cruises, but that's not exactly the most uh, attractive thing. And then they're actually rebuilding the Titanic. Did you know that? Like they're going to, they're rebuilding the Titanic and they're going to, Trace the exact route, which seems like a bad idea. I, I don't know, and um, so uh, now I've mentioned Titanic a lot in the last six months. I don't know why. We we went on vacation a couple of years ago, and you know when you rent one of those beach houses, and then you go downstairs, and like the the owner's entire DVD collection is there, and so I don't know about for me and my kids. The first thing they do is alphabetize them, and then the second thing we do that's Emma, excuse me. So Emma gets a dollar, and then we. Then we figure out what we want to watch, and a couple of years ago, Titanic, we had never watched Titanic. And so at the beach, you've got four hours, and so we watched it, and I know for—I'm being hyperbolic— and so for my, for my kids, they just fell in love with Titanic, right? So let me explain to you the grand metaphor of Titanic, if I will. It's not the cherubic, young um, Leonardo DiCaprio. That's not the metaphor. The metaphor is is that you've got all these class systems, and we're all in the same boat. So they're separated by money, they're separated by status. They're separated uh, literally by, you know, the the levels on the ship. And the idea behind the movie really is is that, of course, love conquers all. Love overcomes all challenges. And when the boat starts sinking, literally, we're all in the same ship here. Like, we're all in the same boat. It it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor or whether you're from a different country. Then when the boat's going down, we're all going down with it. And it shows quite vividly in the movie that even your wealth won't save you. And that uh, some of the people that were considered lesser than were actually the more noble uh, in the sinking of that ship. And that sinking of the ship made me think about this passage of Scripture this week. Because the passage of Scripture this week is all bad news. Like, there there doesn't seem to be anything good here. As I mentioned earlier, it's like bad news for bad people. And, and the ship is going down in this passage, and we're all in it. And And... and It doesn't look hopeful, and I want to find hope for us, and I think the passage will ultimately point us towards a hopeful end. But honestly, you can't make changes in your life until you realize how bad the circumstance is. And so we are often in series of denial, or we're trying to tell ourselves it's a little bit better, or this one little thing will change, or we're waiting for this and we don't know where this is. And and really, this week, what we've got to do is just start with how bad the condition is. And so it it's a lot like Titanic. In fact, I actually themed it, believe it or not. Here's our big idea. Our big idea is when bad news is good news or also bad news for bad people. And here's our three points. Um we're all on the same boat. The boat is sinking, and actually our boat sank. So that's the point. I don't know why the Titanic was in our theme this week, but that's where we're going. The boat's sinking, and actually it all sank. Now, I grew up in a very rural, or many very rural, uh, Southern Baptist churches. And we sang a hymn that went like this. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. Did anyone ever sing that song? That song is completely incorrect. Like, we're not sinking deep in sin. The song should be, I am lying dead in sin at the bottom of the ocean floor. That's a, a more accurate portrayal of that song. Our sin is bad, and it puts us in a tough situation, and we're going to find hope for it. So let's jump in. Let's talk about how our boat, we're all in the same boat here, and we're going to find that in uh, verse 9. Paul says this. He says, what then? Now, why was he say what then? Last week he was saying that... Uh, the Jewish people had the benefit of growing up with the Scriptures. He calls it the oracles of God. They grew up with the Scriptures. They grew up with uh, the worship. They grew up with the dietary laws. Those things weren't burdens. They were actually benefits because they got a, a, a picture of who God was, and they were really ready to understand a more full picture when Jesus arrived. So he's saying, listen, the Jewish people had all these blessings. And so, understanding people's questions, he goes, well, what then? Are they better off? And he says, no, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. And remember the context in Rome. You've got Jewish people who believed in Jesus, and then you've got the Greeks, which is basically another name for Gentiles or, or people who didn't grow up believing in God. And so you've got this brand new church, and they're all clashing in together. And they're trying to figure out how to live with each other. And so you've got Jewish Christians, and you've got Gentile Christians. And so last week, in, in, in uh, the beginning of chapter 3, he said, listen, the Jewish folks, they were really blessed. I mean, they grew up basically reading the Bible since they were kids. He goes, but they're not better off, because we're all a mess. All of us. We're all under sin. Now that language is really important. We're under sin. Every single person, Jew or Greek, or for our language, anybody who grew up in the church or anybody who didn't grow up in the church, everybody's starting place is under sin. Or underwater, if we I'll stop the analogy there. Anyway, so we're all under sin. The the burden of sin, the curse of sin, the penalty of sin is where we all start. You can see here later on why verses would talk about us being humble and not being self-righteous or not being arrogant. You can see where that all come from, because the point Paul is trying to remind us of is, friends, when you look at one another, or when you look at your coworker, or that person that you really can't stand, or whatever the case may be, we all sit underneath the curse of sin. Every one of us. This is not a, hey, nobody's perfect. Whenever we say that, that's usually a justification for one of our bad actions, right? We do something awful and go, well, I'm not perfect. That's not this. This is no, we're under sin. Every one of us. And the joy that we have in the midst of believing in Jesus Christ is we get to see us move away from the burden of sin. You see, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you're not under sin anymore. You live with the benefits of grace. You're transformed. Your heart is not continually given to evil. You have a new heart. The scriptures talk it from going a a, a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, a heart that's alive. But no matter what, when you have faith in Jesus now, you look at one another and go, okay, we're transformed, but when I look out in the world and they're not, we should have grace and sympathy because they don't yet know Jesus. They're under the burden of sin. I had an opportunity to share Jesus uh, with someone at a coffee shop the other day because uh, they were asking me about a verse. They said that someone, uh, Jim's very much like our conversation earlier, someone had shared with them a Bible verse, and they didn't understand it. They didn't know how to pronounce the word Psalm. I mean, they had no familiarity with the Scripture. And they said, what does this mean? And so I had a chance to explain the verse to them, and then a couple days later, I gave them a Bible. And they were stunned. They they were like, this is an amazing gift. And what I'm seeing is here's this person who doesn't know Jesus, but they're starting to interact with the Scriptures. And my prayer for them is that this person is going to have an opportunity to move away from the burden of sin into the joy of grace. But I know that's where they're starting. And so what Paul wants to make sure as we get in here, that make sure we recognize that we're all in the same boat. Our starting place is the same as everyone else's starting place. But let's jump into the meat of this passage. Let's talk about how our boat is sinking, okay? Now, we're going to spend most of our our time in the sermon here, in these verses, okay? I want to read to you how bad the circumstances are, because you're not going to... You're not, as a believer, you're not going to begin to make a transformation in your life until you recognize how bad the situation is. Like, for example, before I get in here, when, uh, when many of you guys walked uh, with me in that process when I started having epilepsy in 2013, and, and I went to the doctor, and for me, I always want to know how bad is it. Like, hey, doc, how bad is it, right? And I was like, well, doc, how bad is this? And he said, well, worst case scenario, you could have a lobotomy. And I was like, Really? And he goes, yes. He goes, so, yes. He goes, you'll be fine and still function, which doesn't seem like two things that go together, right? And he's like, You're gonna, the worst case scenario is you could have a lobotomy and we'll remove the left portion of your brain if it doesn't get any better. He said, so you should probably get more sleep each night. That would really help you not have a lobotomy. And so I was like, oh, and so I used to be, I got to get more sleep. I'm not, lately I've been slacking off on that. But for me, I needed to know what's the worst case scenario. And believe it or not, I met the guy with my condition who had the lobotomy, who is a pastor in a PCA church. I don't even know how that happened. So same, to, I don't know if that's just PCA causes epilepsy or what, but he, he and he's fine, uh, and I'm thankful for them. But for me to make real change, Instead of bragging about getting fat five and a half hours sleep a night, I needed to know what's going to cause me to make real change. And for me, it was, what's the worst case scenario? So when we read the scriptures, we need to know how bad is it, okay? And then we can move from there. So here it is. Uh, none are righteous, no, not one. What's the evident grace version of, definition of righteous? Right in the eyes of God. That's what righteous means. Whatever in the eyes of God is right, that's righteous. Okay, so apart from Jesus, that's none of us. Nobody on the face of the planet, apart from Jesus, no one is right in the eyes of God. That's how bad sin is, okay? So every one of us, apart from Jesus, none of us are righteous. None of us are right in the eyes of God. And this list is tough. So no one understands, no one seeks for God, All have turned aside, everybody, every single like, apart from Jesus, no one says, I'm going to go seek after God today. Apart from Jesus, no one understands God. Without Jesus, you don't understand. We may have wonderful friends that we think are sweet and kind and lovely, but if they don't know Jesus, they don't understand God. Those are the words of Jesus, and those are the words of Paul. So, Together, they've become worthless. Now, I'm never going to use that language in the way we hear it in the American style, so I want to make sure we understand it. I would never tell anybody on the face of the planet, you're worthless. That's harsh language. And we know that the Scripture says that every person is born in the image of God, so how can the Bible say that someone is worthless? Well, it comes down to what the Greek word means, right? So, worthless here means that they're not living according to their intended purpose. Okay? So, it doesn't mean in our language that there's no value in that person. But it means if you're not living in a sense of trying to glorify God, then you've lost that worth. Because the imp- intended purpose of every human being is that we would glorify God in all we do. So, sin is that bad. It deviates the human from their intended purpose. That's how bad sin is. No one does good. No, not one. You say, Gordon, come on. Someone opened the door for me the other day. Gordon, come on. I was in the grocery line, and I had a cart, and they had two things, and they stepped aside and let me go. Right? Right? Gordon, the other day, someone, Amy and I went out to eat with the family the other day, and we went to the checkout, and they said, someone's covered your bill. I mean, that's the best thing. It makes you wish you would ordered dessert. I mean, that's good stuff, right? But Jesus defines good in this way. I did something consistent with God, and I did it to glorify him. So unless the heart intends to glorify God by that action, God doesn't call it good. So good is obeying God with a desire to glorify God. So the non-believer may do something outwardly good, but their heart is not doing it to glorify God. That's why, remember what we said earlier, the Bible always goes to the heart. Always. Their throat is an open grave. What do you do, what happens to an open grave? You, You fall into it. You fall into it. And in Old Testament language, a grave would have made you unclean. You would have interacted with a dead body. So a throat that has an open grave says, I'm just bringing you into sin. Like not only am I fighting with you, I'm drawing you into sin. Have you ever purposely picked a fight with someone? I know you have. I know you're sitting there going, oh, we're going to do this today. I know you've done it. Or you said the harsh, sarcastic, hurtful remark, right? That's throats that are open grave. And that's what sin does. Sin says, I'm going to say things that's going to draw you into sin. Like, it's not just enough that I sin. It's that you sin as well. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their list. That's a hard word for me to say. Like, the venom of a snake is underneath their tongue. Like, they're, they're intending to strike you. With their words, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and in their paths are ruin and misery. That is how bad sin is. Friends, we have wonderful non-believing friends who love you and are kind but apart from Jesus, that's the reality of their soul. And apart from Jesus, that was the reality of your soul. If you need some categorization, I'm not going to have this up here. This might be easy to write down, and I'll send it out on the Sunday recap. I was reading a, a commentary on this um, uh, from a, a, a PCA church, and, and they had a good categorization for this. So I'm going to give you real quick, we'll, we'll leave preaching real quick, and I'll give you like a little Sunday school teaching time real quick. Here are seven ways that sin affects you that we just read, okay? Seven ways that sin affects you. And I'll send this out in the note. 1. Your legal standing before God. Your legal standing means guilty. We all stand guilty before God. 2. Your mind, the way you think is affected. It's cloudy. It's cloudy. So even with faith in Jesus, st- sin still can cloud our mind. Three, your motive. Like why you do things. Your motive is affected by sin. Four, your will, like the intention of your life. Five, your tongue, which we just read. Six, your relationship with others. And seven, your relationship with God. Sin permeates everything and we can't take sin lightly we can't worry about offense we need to be bold we need to speak to our children we need to speak to each other we need to speak to our friends And we need to speak to the non-believing world because this is the risk of sin not only is the boat sinking the boat sunk verse 17 in the way of peace they've not known You don't seek everlasting peace if you're under the curse of sin. Because sin is hostility. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped. And the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So everybody is under the curse of law. Everybody. And because of that, no one will be justified before God by the works of the law. Justified is like the writing of the relationship, okay? So let's say we're, we're sinful. Our relationship with God is broken. Our, our 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 destiny is hell. That won't be fixed by trying to be better. One, it wouldn't do anything with all the sin you've already done. And we've already heard how sin, how bad sin is. We we can't be good enough to right the wrong. No one on the face of the planet is ever going to be justified. By being good enough. That is the function of the entire world. That's the view of the entire world. That they hope that when it all washes out. Just a little bit better than they were bad. But that's not the scales of justice for God. I noticed. uh, Look at 17 here. The way of peace they've not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. This just hit me this morning. Um. There's a verse in the Bible that says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Have you guys ever heard that? So, this like a reverent recognition of who God is, that's how we begin to become wise. Okay? That's biblical. So, if you want to be- become wise, you start with, I need to have a reverent fear before God. Look at the connection in verse 17 and 18. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of peace as well. I mean, not being peaceful. Is living here, but wanting to be there. That's just the definition of not having internal peace, right? Like, I, I'm here, but I really wish I was there, and then you have some conflict. So theres you don't have a personal peace or personal contentment. I'm here, but I wish I was there. In the pathway towards peace and please hear me, friends, because we live in an anxiety-ridden generation. We do. My anxiety is bad, or it's anxious, or, I mean, I understand it. There's so many things that would cause anxiety these days. And almost all of us at some point in time have said, "I've I've just got a lot of anxiety right now, and I'm not diminishing it. And anxiety is a lack of peace. The beginning of peace, then, would be a holy and reverent fear of God. And that's where we start. That's where we begin to walk out of this bad news and into good news. The beginning of peace is a reverent and holy fear of God. That would then lead us to, okay, God, uh, it's a holy, reverent view of you. And I go, okay, well, God, I know you're holy, so I know I'm sinful, but I also know you're gracious, which means I'm forgiven. And I also know that you have plans and pathways that you want me to obey, and I'm not doing that. And I promise you, friends, anytime we sin, we're walking into uh, a, to just a disruption and anxiety. And anytime we obey, we're going to walk into peace. Not perfectly, but I guarantee you if we're pursuing sin, we're not going to have peace. So here's what I want to do. I, I, again, if you're new with uh, us, I, I end my sermons with a truth, an application, and an action. The truth is sort of a simple statement of the sermon, and an application is a way in which we can live, and an action is a to-do. So, we've got a lot of healing we need to do here, okay, uh, because we've talked about how bad it is, Uh, but I want us to walk into the truth, application, and action, because it's going to walk us into that healing, okay? So, let's do that. So, first of all, uh, when bad news is good news, and and here's where we found out that we're all in the same boat, it's sinking, it's actually sunk, okay? So, we're going to start with the same ground here, okay? All of us. Like sin, we're not struggling with it. It's just one. And then we believe in Jesus, and then we can begin to conquer and have victory over sin. So here's our truth right here, friends. The human heart cannot offer God anything other than what he's provided for us. Faith in Jesus Christ and obedience that he prepared for us long ago. This should be a relief. All of us can do that deep breath. Let's do it. We can go, I haven't breathed in 30 minutes, and so that was refreshing to me. So, okay, so right now we can all exhale. Because you can't offer God anything except what he gives you. And that's a relief. Because no one is justified before God by what? The works of the law. So it's not like you've got to impress God by being good. It's not like you've got to fix your relationship by being good. It doesn't mean the pathway of all these problems is by being good. No, it means that what you do is you faithfully steward or you faithfully take care of what God has given you. It's all from him. And what did he give you? Well, we know that Ephesians 2.8 tells you that your faith in Jesus, he gave that to you. Like The reason you believe in Jesus is he enabled you to believe in Jesus. It's a gift. And we know that the reason you're able to obey is that the scriptures tell us that he prepared for you in the eternity's past your obedience. So he's going to help you obey. That's what you offer to him. Everything you offer to him is foreign or alien because it was his and he gave it to you. So when you're discouraged or you're full of anxiety or you feel like that everything is ruined, you go, wait a minute, this isn't all up to me. God, you gave me my faith in the first place. Give me more. It's not up for you to, to figure out how to have extra faith. He'll give it to you. When you say, Father, I'm struggling. I am not obeying. Help me to obey. Change my desires. Like, you do that in me, God. And then you'll see him work it. We just keep trying to muscle it up and do it on our own. And that's the remnant of sin in our hearts. So right now, be relieved. Exhale. Pray for peace. See that anxiety leave. It's the faith he gave you and the obedience he gave you. That's what's going to please God. That's what's going to make transformation in your life and transformation in relationships. Application. Live knowing that your needs are equal to the world's needs. Your sin is just as bad as the rest of the world's sin. Really. Really. If I knew your sin, I'd probably tell you it's worse. But I, I mean, it's all, our sins are mine. Our sins are all a mess. Live knowing that your sins, have been, your needs have been provided for because of your faith in Jesus, though. See, here's the thing. The church and, and folks who don't believe in Jesus, the reason we don't get along is typically because we get self-righteous. And we get arrogant and judgmental. There's enough in the gospel already to offend the non-believer. There's plenty, because the gospel tells you how desperate your need is. But the church, can we? Uh, the Christian can look at any non-Christian and say, "My need is as great as your need. Your sin might be different, but my sin just as much as the need as yours." But live knowing. That the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus takes care of your needs. You have hope. Your sins are forgiven for. The goodness, that righteousness you don't have, Jesus just gives you all of his. Why would you ever try to walk on your own righteousness when Jesus gives you all of his? Now, before we get to the action. Because almost every one of these sermons has had some application for evangelism. And I just want to tell you, I'm excited because I'm hearing you guys have conversations about sharing all this with Jesus, all this with non believers. And I'm excited about it. I see God slowly moving in this church, a heart to share Jesus with others. And it's exciting. It starts with what we believe God's doing in our heart. And then I see boldness moving in your heart. Okay? There's a danger in this application. When I say, your sin's just as bad as my sin. And we'll see it in the action. Here's the action. Offer a condolence, not a condoning. We offer condolences, not condoning. Let me explain what that means. A condolence says, I'm sorry. I know where you're at. I've been just where you are. I, I've experienced some comfort, and I want to share that comfort with you. That's a condolence, right? A condoning says your sin's okay. Just because we're all sinners does not make anybody's sins okay. And in the church right now, there is just a fierce battle. Like, will the church say, the Bible says it, therefore it's a sin? Will we risk friendships, relationships, status, or anything to be honest about the Bible? Yes, we all stand in equal need of forgiveness. That doesn't make any sin okay. And the church is at a point where it's being challenged. Will you still offer grace along with how bad our sins are? We can't condone any sin. What we have to offer is a condolence. I know where you are because my sin is vile and ugly and dirty but I know what forgiveness from Jesus looks like. I know what transformation and peace look like. Friends, this is the modern day church's challenge. is whether we're still willing to call sin, sin, but still be gracious and merciful. When we say, Jesus has met every one of my needs, I love you, but that's a sin, and Jesus can meet your needs as well. Friends hear me. I know this is this might be a tough action. I want you to live in verse 2 this week. And excuse me, live in the application this week and move towards the action. Right? Live knowing that all your needs have been met. It's not up to you. Your needs have been met. Live there this week. You'll find a relief, you'll find your anxiety go down. You'll feel, find hope, you'll find peace. But then we've got to move towards sharing that with one another. We don't condone sin, we offer condolences. Because an ultimate picture of our understanding this is our willingness to proclaim it and share it with one another. And I see God doing that in you guys. I want you to know from your pastor, I love seeing God move boldness. Boldness about honesty about your sin and boldness to share Jesus with others. We just have to pray that he continues to do it. Let's pray, friends. Father, this has been uh, just such a hard passage of Scripture. I mean, we see the challenges of our heart laid before us. Our sin affects our thinking and our will and our, our words, our relationships. It affects everything. But, Father, through Jesus, we are forgiven and transformed. Now, Father, let us rest in all that He has done on our behalf. And would you enable us? to offer the condolences to the world. We understand their need just as we understand ours. And with Jesus Christ and his life, his death, and his resurrection, be lifted up not only in the marketplace of the church, but the marketplace of the world. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You care about your business. That's why preformed and prepackaged approaches to marketing do not help. Because of that, CTP Marketing and Consulting seeks to understand you, your product, and your services, and they will partner with you in creating a customized approach to meet your marketing needs. Towards that end, CTP offers traditional print marketing, social media services, SEO, event coordination, campaign creation, fundraising, and a host of other services. Reach out to them today and see if this personal approach to marketing can help you grow your business. You can find them at ctpmarketplace.com or you can email them at admin at ctpmarketplace.com. That's admin at ctpmarketplace.com. Reach out to them today for their free evaluation and see if they can help you grow your business and help you meet your goals.